What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to the first edition of War Media's Open Run. My name is Gabriel Wilkins. I'll be him. And I'm joined with my fellow co-hosts and partner in crime, the one and only Josh Hicks. How you doing, man? I know you've been out there in the soil covering, you know, Bulls preseason action, the digs and everything, man. How's life been? It's been a minute. Well, it's definitely, man. Everything looks is looking pretty bright on the other side when it comes to that. But I'm just glad to be on this show with you. Obviously, uh, new beginnings with the with uh, with this with the show and the production side of things. So I'm ready to see how this thing, ready to get this thing going and get this thing jumping for the season, man. I'm excited. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And it's definitely um, going to be a fun season to watch. And we're looking forward to a lot of it and what, what the future unholds. And like I said, this first ever edition of Open Run, and we're going to kick it off, you know, talking about the hometown team, the Chicago Bulls. You know, had a um, great preseason, finished with a 3-1 and record, knocking off the Denver Nuggets, um, Toronto Raptors, and the Milwaukee Bucks, while averaging 124.5 points per game as a unit and earning all three wins by double digits, all the while shooting over 50% from the field as a team in the process. Javante Green finished with 15 points through the first four dress rehearsals of the year, shot over 50% from the field, as well as over 60% from downtown, while DeMar DeRozan posted over 21 points a game, shooting over 55% from the field, while averaging nearly five assists per contest. Um, like I said, Josh, you know, I know that you was out there. Um, I know that you also had the pleasure of talking with Casey Johnson, Bulls insider of NBC Sports Chicago, about this season and, and expectations and everything that transpired during the offseason with moves and so forth and the, the, the new additions, such as Goran Dragic, Andre Drummond, and so forth. What are the three things that you took away from this preseason that stood out to you the most in watching the Bulls Post a three and one record and playing some stellar basketball. I think the first thing for me is obviously the 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 big news in the Chicago right now with Patrick Williams. Um, everybody thought for the most part Patrick Williams is going to be a lock in. You know he's going to you just fill in the fill in the slot and he's guaranteed starting for this team, but that's not the case. Um, and uh, and Billy Donovan has made it aware that you know, he's still evaluating what's best role for Patrick Williams, Patrick Williams to play right now. And it does seem like the best role for him to play is coming off the bench. Uh, the coach from Billy Donovan and his staff, but it is a call that can actually, in a lot of ways down the run, maybe benefit Patrick Williams. Learn, not just learning the game from how to be aggressive per se when he does get the ball, but aggressive in other areas, which is something that Billy Donovan really wanted to highlight an emphasis with Patrick Williams, whether it's running the floor hard, whether it's understanding, you know, building up your IQ of basketball, whether it's setting simple screens or cuts, anything that can help the team benefit in other ways, which are tangible assets that Patrick Williams does bring to the table, Billy Donovan wants to exploit that. And, he, and one of the only ways he really can do it, if you really think about it, especially when it comes to the offensive end and the desire of Patrick Williams on the offensive end really needs to come in the second unit when you have, because it's hard to do that when you have DeMar DeRozan Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine on the court at the same time who are both offensive scorers and go-getters. So um, I think understands that the coaching staff understands that and they're making it known that, yeah, he's, we, the, the, we know that he can do what he can do. I mean, obviously wanted to do it on this magnitude, but don't get fooled by the fact that he's the fourth pack, fourth, fourth pick in his draft class. That doesn't matter to them. It's all about fit and where and how he fits with this team and the role that he plays. 
and they know that right now it's that's in the second second unit. At least that's what it seems as of right now, because you know the lineup hasn't been official yet uh, from a stop from a starting game perspective on Wednesday. But the other story, or the flip side to that story, is Javante Green. Um, that's the second thing, uh, second point for me that really stood out. Javante working on that jump shot. He's been in the gym. Uh, he told me this past offseason that, you know, he wanted to work on that, on his offensive game, including that jump shot with the Bulls coaching staff, because he wanted to make sure that he could, you know, alleviate some of the load and pressure off of our big three. And you can see in a lot of ways, especially with this, that Billy Donovan's mentioned with this five man out offense, he fits that offense very well, especially if he can, if he can continuously knock down that three point shot with a higher volume. Um, that's something that the Bulls need. And not to mention, he's also big and moving and great and moving without the ball, which is something that Billy Donovan needs when you have um, those, well, those three guys on the court at the same time, especially since he's a person that doesn't necessarily need the ball every possession of the floor. So he's a, he fits the role that the Bulls are currently in need of right now. And he's made it very known and pretty much pretty known in every game he's played in the preseason that that's, that, that's his job to have. He, he outperformed Patrick Williams in that role. Now, obviously, Javante, he's a team guy. Patrick Williams is a team guy. And they are, there's no beef when it comes to, you know, getting those starting jobs and those starting roles as long as they win. They want to win and watch what my eyes have seen. Javante got that starting job, no matter what. At the end of the day, that's Javante's job. And Patrick Williams is coming off the bench, and hopefully him, Patrick Williams coming off that bench will alleviate uh, a lot of stress or pressure that, maybe, that he may be dealing with to play and just give him the confidence to just flow within this game and maybe dominate in ways that he wouldn't be able to in the first unit with uh, playing along those stars that he's, been, that he's playing around with. But the third point for me that really was like the icing on the cake is the, is the dynamic between Goran Dragic, Patrick Williams, and the starting point guard of this team, Ayo Desunu. Because Ayo was automatically a guaranteed slot for the starting point guard role. It was pretty much a given. And he's shown not just oh, he's shown that he's putting the work in the offseason as well. He's gained weight. His jump shot looks a lot smoother. He's shooting the ball without with confidence, without hesitation. And you know he's improved. He's improved his game. But he's a young point guard that still needs to learn in a lot of ways how to flow within an offense and how to officiate and be a floor general in that realm. And that's where you got Goran Dragic. In a lot of ways, that's part of why you got Goran Dragic. Goran, he knows how to run that offense. He knows how to be effective within the offense. And he knows how to not only work with veteran players, but young players as well. Um, so he knows what it means to help develop young talent along the way, especially since he had the experience of being a backup point guard to NBA legend Steve Nash, who's, who's, who's pretty much going to be a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best point guards ever to play the game. So Goran Tragas told me that he's excited to be able to play with, with Io and to be able to teach him um, all those things, especially when it comes to pick and roll play. Um, he's very excited about what this is. We are obviously know from a guard perspective, Goran Dragic and Io, they're going to be together in a lot of different ways. They're going to be all around each other. But if you move Patrick Williams to the second unit, he's going to be playing a lot more with Goran Dragic. And Goran Dragic has made it known to me that, uh, you know, that he loves, he's continuously uh, working with Patrick Williams in screen and roll situations and, help, and helping him get to his spot so that way he can excel on, when they're on the floor together. And Patrick Williams told me he loves to pick Goran Dragic's brain, not just because of his veteran leadership on the court, but the fact that he knows how to handle veterans and young players. So I think 
that triangle dynamic is very underestimated when you talk about how the roles that uh, Goran Dragic, Ayo DeSumo, and Patrick Williams will eventually be playing because that's going to be one of the main trios in a lot of ways from not just from starting, but from a bench perspective. That's going to really keep this team afloat in a lot of ways, especially with the absence of Lonzo Ball from a point guard perspective. Yeah, I know that you you had the pleasure to talk with Patrick Williams about, you know, Goran Dragic and his mentorship and helping him learn how to navigate through the pick and roll and whatnot like that. That was real good content that you had and I had the pleasure of seeing. For me, the three takeaways that I took from the preseason was the player Javante Green, first and foremost, as you alluded to. I think that he has cemented himself as a starting power forward for the Bulls this season. Uh, you talked about how, you know, he had made it clear with you that he had been working this offseason on his three-point shot, making sure that he was knocking it down consistently. I kind of got a chance to see that firsthand for myself in the middle of last season, getting a lot of games early, and watching players warm up. And Javante was always one of the first guys in the building. He was always working extensively on his shot. And I could tell that he was trying to put that work in to take his three-point shot to the next level, to be that safety valve that DeRozan and Levine need when they're getting double-teamed, penetrating and attacking the paint, and they got to kick it out to the shooter. Um, I, I've been very impressed with his play. I thought that he, he he's always been a, a solid player off the ball, making things go and happen, even though I do worry about how his size may factor in when you go up against longer teams with size, such as Milwaukee and Philadelphia on the front line. I think right now he's proven to be their best option. And until Patrick Williams gets more comfortable playing alongside of DeRozan and Levine, I, I do believe that we will more than likely see him on the bench because with that second unit, he can at least find a way to help ignite it. And he's the type of guy I think he needs the ball in his hands a lot more in order to be effective and more successful. And he's also used to playing um, on the bench, uh, coming off the bench rather, because mm -hmm. as we know, when he came out of Florida State, he was a six man on that team under Leonard Hamilton. So right. I, I, I think I think at this point, Devontae Green has some minute his spot at the starting um, four for the Bulls. And I, I, I just was very impressed with his growth. And he was making things happen, not only off the ball, but even on the ball. Like I remember he attacked off the dribble a couple of times against Toronto, going down the slam dunk, going in for a layup against contested defenders and whatnot. I really like to see what he showcased. And I think maybe playing in a program this summer at the Shali kind of helped him with that. Um, the, the second guy that stood out to me was Nikola Vucic. You could tell that this is a big time year for him. He's seeking to, you know, secure that bag. Um, he's not seeking to be that stationary guy that we knew him to be last year where he was just shooting threes more often than not. He was getting things done on the low block. He was making things happen with his face-up game. Another thing that really impressed me, too, and he's always had this skill, but I think he showcased it a lot more preseason was his passing ability. I, I think he's very motivated, and I think he's eager to um, really show his worth as a key contributor on this ball because I really believe in spite of DeRozan and Levine's presence as the one-two punch, that, you know, Vucevic is the biggest X factor on the ball club, besides Patrick right. Williams. Um, the, the, the last but not least was Ayo DeSumo, a guy who I think has taken the next step, not only offensively, finding his shot, finding more confidence in his shot, being more willing to take shots when they're there, not um, seeking to be apprehensive on the floor, and also growing defensively, you know, calling out sets, talking more. 
um, getting in the guy's chest a little bit more. I, I was very impressed with, with the way he played. And in my opinion, why, you know, it may he may have been penciled in as a starting point guard. He earned that job. And I, I think that, that that's a good decision for the Bulls moving forward. Um, without Lonzo Ball, who's still nursing, you know, from um, left knee surgery and recovering from that torn meniscus that he suffered late last year. I, 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 those were the three things that really, you know, stood out to me the most. And I'm, I'm interested to see just how DeSumo fares in year two with this Bulls roster as he seeks to continue to build chemistry with them. He sounds a lot more confident in the interviews that I've heard. And he, he's playing more confident when I've watched him thus far through the season. As we know, it all tips off this Wednesday night in Miami against the Eastern Conference runner-up from last year, the Miami Heat. Um, but my next question for you is, with you know, with season predictions. 538, as we know, they released their predictions about a week ago, and they projected the Bulls to finish with a 35-47 and 47 record, despite winning 46 games last season and making it to the playoffs for the first time in five years. Um, what are your overall expectations going into the season with a bull spot that would be going in without point guard Lonzo Ball, who we know is still nursing from the injury, um, and, and after recently going through surgery for the second time in the last eight months? Look, I, I struggled a little bit with this, but I think at the end of the day, I don't have a specific record that will ha- that they don't have at this present moment. But I do believe they'll probably finish between that seven to eight seed and, and, you know, has a good chance of being in the, um, in the, in the play-in tournament. Just because as much as the Bulls have improved with the two, with, with the two additional veterans that can really help off that second unit, um, I think they'll better perform this year because they have a chance to keep it afloat. When Lonzo Ball went out, went, out, went out for the rest of the season, it took a dive. They took a huge dive um, outside of that first unit and, you know, they couldn't sustain and maintain what the first half of the year was bringing from Lonzo Ball. Um, I think, you know, when you brought in Goran Dragas, you brought in Andre Drummond, you, 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 you try to address areas that can help prevent some of that drop-off, where if you do drop-off, it's not too bad. So I think they're going to be okay in that department, but then it got better. Every team you can pretty much think of in the Eastern Conference is, has improved in some way, shape, or form, excluding the upper teams when it comes to reaching for that championship status level. So I think they're eventually going to finish eighth. They'll play. They'll be, they'll be part of the play-in tournament. Will not be surprised if they get to the first round. Um, but after that, it's, there's question marks because if the roster maintains the way that it is, especially if you don't get Lonzo Ball coming back, I, I I don't see the Bulls going much further than what they did last year at all. And they, honestly, they might even get. It might they might be losing a, a may have an earlier exit than they projected last season. To me, this is a team that, you know, if things go well, they could be right back where they were last year. They could be a fifth or sixth seed. If things, you know, get a little bit bumpy, and as you said, is a much improved Eastern Conference with teams such as Philly getting better with the additions of P.J. Tucker and De'Anthony Melton, alongside of Montrez Harrell, and, you know, rejuvenated James Harden, you know, Joel Embiid. It's going to be back. You know, that's a top five player. Miami, you know, added to their roster as well, bringing back the majority of their core. I, I, I see this team really being on the verge of the play. 
I, I see this being a team that does finish anywhere between seven through ten. And I, I would say that they finish as a seventh seed. Well, they're going to have to earn the right to play in the playoffs. They're going to have to play somebody in order to get in. And the reason why I say that is because without Lonzo Ball, it's going to impact their ability to play at a fast pace. And even though Io, I think, can be a pace setter for this Bulls team, he's still learning, still trying to grow and navigate and find his way in the league. And I think that's going to take some time. I also believe that, you know, I, I, I still have a, a lot of question marks in regards to Billy Donovan as well. You know, like he's going to have to open up his playbook and so forth a lot more to get guys involved. Like you got Patrick Williams and now you're moving him to the bench. But with that being said, he's going to have to find a way to produce. You're going to have to put him in the best position to succeed. And I, And while I do believe in Patrick Williams still, I'm not, you know, on the fence about him yet at this point, I do believe that at some point his skill will translate and showcase um, well to the fans. At, at some point in time, you know, you, 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 you just got to show and prove. And, and I really believe that the Bulls are in a place where due to the state of the Eastern Conference, if they don't get off to a hot start similar to what they did last year, it's going to be very tough to get one of those top six seasons. And in the Boy. Eastern Conference, with a revamped New York Knicks squad who acquired Jalen Brunson, a revamped Detroit Pistons squad with the newcomer, Jay Nivey, the rookie guard, pairing up and joining forces with Kay Cunningham and Sadiq Bay and Jalen Duran, who they also acquired in the draft. This Eastern Conference is not going to be no punk. And that's not even including Cleveland, who, you know, acquired Donovan Mitchell in a blockbuster trade late this summer to think up with Darius Garland in that backcourt over there, alongside of Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, the two big men that's going to make sure to anchor the paint in that back line of the defense. So I I see them being a, a seven for an eight seed at best. You know, this this easy, it will come down to beating the elite teams. And I think opening night is going to be the Bulls' biggest test because that was a team in the Miami Heat, who they were on four against in the regular season last year. So you you going to Miami behind enemy lines, you know, those are the games that you got to take care of if you want to avoid being in that play-in round, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I mean, the Bulls, it's going to be a proven year for them. They got to prove themselves, show that last year wasn't a fluke of them getting to the playoffs. Um, and, and, they, and honestly, they exceeded our expectations from last year. From a way they played and developed over over throughout the whole season, but you got you 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 made your, the move that you made. You've made it known that you're not trading Patrick Williams or Kobe White at the present moment, and they it, you've you know you followed through on your promise on bringing the core back, which you did. You got Zach Levine now, who signed his max contract deal. He's the face of the franchise. You've answered that. You've actually done what you wanted to do. Now it's about time of putting your money where your mouth is and see what they're going to actually perform it on the floor. And we'll see how, and this is a year for them where we'll see how it really goes, especially considering I think Billy Donovan, this is his third year now, and that contract's coming up real soon after next yep. year. Yep. So you need to make sure that you got all things, all your ducks in order in a row. So that way, there's no question you're coming back. And I, I do believe advice from the front office that, you know, Billy is on the hot seat after this season if they don't do well. But, you know, we have a right to question 
the growth of this team, considering that he has a history of having players do well and great in a regular season. But when it comes to playoff basketball, that scale tips and they don't go in advance in ways that, quite frankly, they could have. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But earlier this week, you know, Josh had the pleasure of sitting down with a Bulls insider, longtime Bulls insider, who's currently covering the team with NBC Sports Chicago, been doing so for over 20 plus years now, the one and only Casey Johnson, to talk about season expectations for the Bulls, to talk about the offseason moves that they made. And where do they go from here going into the 2022-2023 season? The Bulls look to make it to back-to-back playoff runs under Billy Donovan, who's in his third year as the Bulls head coach. Check that out. Y'all know what time it is. It is the one and only open run, uh, first edition. And we have a very special guest on this go-around. We, we we got the guy that is like literally the, the know-all, the, the genius of everything Bulls information. He is, you see him on TV. He gives his reports on TV. He gives reports on the Bulls Talk podcast. He's just he's just he's just he's just that guy. I mean, he's just that guy in the industry, and most specifically in all things Bulls uh, Bulls uh, conversation and Bulls talk. I'm proud and glad to have Casey Johnson, Bulls insider for MC Sports Chicago, as the first time running on the show. How you doing, man? I'm gonna welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, man. Ah, no problem, man. No problem. I'm, I'm excited to get this Bulls talk uh, going because. Um, you know, the Bulls, they, they made some a little bit of noise this offseason when you're talking about bringing in guys like Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond. And I think the biggest noise, per, uh, per se, is really uh, signing Max, I mean, sign, you know, signing your match player in Zach Levine, giving him over $200 million, which is something that's never been done in the Bulls' history. I mean, talking about, you know, payroll and what it means to, you know, big, go big or go home. But at the same time, you know, Bulls Media Day has come to pass. They've now officially finished their preseason. They start their first game on Wednesday, the 19th in Miami against a really tough, you know, uh, Jimmy Butler-led team in Miami. Casey, before we jump into the season, per se, I would like to get your thoughts as far as what was your original thoughts when you first heard the signings of Goran Dragic, Andre Drummond, um, and draft even drafting uh, Dalen Terry? And leading up to the preseason, what was your, like? What was your, well, your first reactions when you heard all the all the moves that the Bulls were making? I think they're pretty consistent with how this management team has operated. If you look at their first uh, draft pick in Patrick Williams, that was obviously a pick based on upside. I would say that Dalen Terry fits into that same basket. And then if you look at the signings of Goran Dragic and Andre Drummond, they align with the signing of say like a Garrett Temple, just solid, you know. Uh, rotational veterans that can add experience and also try to contribute still on the court, uh, add leadership, that kind of stuff, add toughness. Um, So to me, they were, they were right in line and they more, more to the point, they also fell fell in line with the theme that we've been hearing since February, obviously the, the old continuity word uh, because it was just working the margins to kind of supplement what they already uh, have. And then, and as you mentioned, the, the biggest one is, you know, re-signing Zach Levine. I mean, that's not a slam dunk. I mean, you've got a you've got a pony up to keep your own, and, and they certainly did that. So obviously, now with these pieces coming together, you know, we've had our first four games of what that could potentially look like. What was the thing? What was the what was, what did that what stood out to you the most 
when you watch those preseason games? Like, what caught your eye the most? No, a few things. I mean, the biggest one to me, well, I, I shouldn't say, yeah, probably the biggest one because it's the most important one to me is just Vucevic and how comfortable he looked and just how they kind of tried to obviously utilize him in different situations than than last season where he largely was more based on the perimeter. It's clear they're, you know, still have, going to have that as part of the the repertoire, but they're going to they're going to move him around. And uh, you know, Billy Donovan, the 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 catchphrase he's been using using is they want more offensive randomness. He felt they got a little stagnant and predictable um when they suffered the injuries and when Lonzo Ball went down and they're gonna be without Lonzo for the foreseeable future so they've got to find different ways to play and you can't just have it all be isolation based with Zach and Damar so that was that was a big one um I would say uh the intriguing unexpected battle at power forward uh stood out to me because I don't think anybody would have predicted that Patrick Williams might be coming off the bench to start year three, which is obviously still undetermined, but it's certainly in, in play. And then the other one would be just, I would assume, I'm not sure that's even like a surprise or anything, but just him kind of just claiming that starting point guard spot and really not missing a beat. I mean, he's so unfazed by everything. It's very consistent with how he played his rookie season. Out of those three points, let's go with the IO direction first, because I mean, personally for me, when you bring in a guy like Goran Dragic, I would think, yeah, he might start because of the experience. He knows how to run an offense, the, what he brings to the table, and bring it from a consistency perspective to keep things, you know, on par. And you can bring Io in off the bench, and even though he may come off the bench, he can still be finishing games. You know, I was thinking maybe that route, but Io has come into this off from the offseason – He's bigger, and you can tell he's worked on his jump shot where he's not hesitating a lot. He's actually shooting the ball more with confidence from anywhere on the floor. And aside from the fact that, you know, he's a Chicago guy, so, you know, he got that toughness and that, and that chip on his shoulder, it just seems like he is so more, much more commanding on the floor now that he is playing more, more into that role. And Billy made it seem like he was a, it was pretty much like a lock-in. I don't know. I wouldn't know if it was a lock-in per se from the point guard, but do you think it was going to be that obvious that he was going to get, take that next leap? I mean, it certainly was a question. You didn't also mention Caruso, who I do think will be closing games. He'll be the he'll right. be me closing games over Io. I mean, I I predicted on our, on our own podcast. That, I mean, my informed guess was it was going to be Io, just because I thought that they're going to really try to preserve Dragic and and really manage his his minutes, particularly coming off of EuroBasket. I was told when Dragic signed, not only was he a depth signing, but he's also kind of, I was told it was more for the 16-game season than the 82-game season. So, you know, they're they're clearly targeting him. I mean, he's going to have a role in the regular season, but he's he's going to be here for the playoffs as well. So, uh, Io to me always made the most sense. I just think Caruso is so good coming off the bench with that energy and then closing games. And if he's starting games, you know, he has a tendency to maybe sometimes get in foul trouble and things like that. So, but to your point, Josh, you know, the way that Iowa's his com- floor command has grown, that that to me is very noticeable. And it's something that Billy Donovan and Caruso have both spoken about is just how they've tried to help him in that regard. And, and you know, work, I mean, as good of, as he played his rookie year, you know, there are times where he's not always used to running an offense. He has played both on the ball and off the ball throughout his career. And, you know, he's also a rookie, so – he would defer at times, but I think just as you mentioned, like his floor general 
uh, leadership has, has really stood out to me in this preseason. And, and kudos to him. The, the guy just doesn't seem to be phased by very much. And I, you, you mentioned how Caruso and Billy Donovan have emphasized both how they both helped Io to take that next leap and be in that point guard. I'm really intrigued by how the dynamic between Goran Dragic and Io works because even in the pre, the last preseason game, he there was a, a, a there was a few moments in the game where Io and Goran Dragic were playing on the court at the same time. And I know Billy Donovan has been very outspoken about you know experimenting with lineups and seeing what chemistry and what works and what doesn't. But considering Io and Goran Dragic on the court at the same time, I'm intrigued uh, to hear your viewpoint. Um, what is that chemistry like potentially, if you know, within the two, within those two players, and how much of an importance is that of Goran Dragic teaching him and bringing what he's learned over his experience? I think it's 16 years in the league to help Io take the next step in becoming an, a really solid, versatile point guard. Yeah, even if it doesn't happen on the court as much, it can happen in film sessions and in practice settings and in, and in uh, locker room settings and stuff. And so that'll be important. Look, Caruso isn't as old or as experienced as Dragic, but, you know, he's he's very uh, on point with that kind of leadership as well. So you've got two really good mentors. And then, you know, we also have to point to the coaching staff. I mean, we've got a Hall of Fame, uh, you know, point guard legend in, in the building in Mo Cheeks. Yep. Um, so Iowa's got plenty of, you know, avenues with which to learn from. And, and, you know, by all accounts, he's quite the sponge and very inquisitive by nature. He asks a lot of questions. So you never have to worry about Io. I always say like, whatever his ceiling is, you know, he's going to hit it, maybe even go past it, but he's, he's, you're not going to have to worry about him reaching his potential because he's going to put the work in, but you know, I, I don't think Dragic, this is just me. I, I don't, I don't think Dragic and I are going to play together a lot. It's pretty clear to me uh, in the preseason that Billy is, pretty locked into using these separate five man units and I was in the, you know, the first unit and Dragic is in that second unit. And that's a, that's another new wrinkle this season. Cause as we know, last season, DeMar uh, got staggered so much and would kind of lead that second unit more often than not. And this year, at least right now, it looks like Billy's going to go in with, with two separate five, five man units. Uh, you know, that obviously can change uh, if he doesn't like the look or, uh, it's an experimentation thing or, you know, there's injuries or, or what have you, but at, at least through the preseason, that was his kind of working model. And, and we'll see how, how that moves into the, the regular season. Well, one of the working models that has been taking place in the preseason, is like, as, as you mentioned before, this point is power forward battle between Patrick Williams and Javante Green. Javante has told me over this past off season that, he wanted to work on his game. He planned on working with the coaching staff to improve his shooting because he wanted to take that load off of Zach Levine, you know, Vooch and DeMar and help make things easier for them. He's been hitting that three-point shot pretty consistently throughout the, throughout the preseason. Um, and in a, in a lot of ways, to me, really helped that offense flow when, when it talks about uh, Billy Donovan's ideal, you know, ball movement perspective with the five-out lineup. I, obviously, we know Patrick Williams has been vocal about, you know, he's a team guy and he wants to, and he's doing everything to make it work. But how much of a surprise is it really Javante taking that extra step to take that position or at least the lead it looks like on the outside looking in? Or is it just Patrick Williams' slow maturation process that doesn't always, you know, take that jump like we maybe would want him to? 
Well, it's probably a combination of all those factors. I mean, to let's start with where you started, because you, you, you caught up with Javante a couple of times over the summer. I mean, you got to give credit to him. He did stay around here and, and put the work in. You know, he actually shot a very good percentage uh, last year as well. The difference to me is, you know, he's now not hesitating to take that shot, so his volume might go up. I mean, I think he was at 35% from three last year, which isn't bad, but he's obviously low volume. And I'm not saying he needs to start jacking threes because he's clearly a – you know, third or fourth option, but just the fact that if you get an open shot and you don't hesitate it, it'll obviously help prevent defenses from doing what they did so much last year, where they're just, you know, sagging off the other guys and clearly loading up on Zach and Damar. Um, this is obviously after Lonzo went out. So you got to start there. Uh, all credit to Javante. He, he stayed and put the work in and, and certainly looks like he has improved that area of his game. Um, you know, the, the Patrick thing, it's, 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 it's almost tiring at this point because you're just, it's the same theme over and over and over. I will say, I, yeah, I don't know what Billy's going to do, you know, to start the season, but the fact that he's even considering it is surprising, but I will say it actually, you got to give Billy some credit on that because let's say, let's just hypothetically play it out and say, that's the way he goes. Javante starts and Patrick comes off the bench. Maybe that's, you know, the jumpstart Patrick needs, not even in a motivational way, just in a usage way, because he has talked about, you know, playing alongside Zach and DeMar and Vooch. It almost plays negatively into Pat's personality, which is to be deferential by nature. And if you're in that first unit where you look around and you don't have, you know, three guys who need to eat offensively, maybe he just by nature gets more aggressive. So it could ultimately be a better thing for the team. I will say this, you know, it, cliche alert sometimes but it, in this case it's spot on like billy donovan javante green and patrick williams all all those guys all three of them all they care about is what's best for the team so they'll arrive at that conclusion and we'll see how it plays out and it can change i mean what how, however they start in miami might not be how it starts you know three weeks from now but uh it is it is all that said, all that babbling aside, it is pretty amazing that we're here because I, I would not have predicted this one in a million years. Right. And I, I wouldn't have either. But since we are in this position, <clears throat> we both know that, you know, behind the scenes, there may be some discussion as far as the narrative. Are we pushing Patrick too hard or do we have high expectations for Patrick Williams because of the fact that he is the top four pick of his class? Do you feel that way? Do you feel that there's an un, there's an un, un, an unforced narrative being pushed on him with the with the expectations of him excelling at a level that is equivalent or equates to being the number four draft pick of this class? Well, it, it, it's I don't know. It's, it's a tough question. Uh, I will say that you know he didn't start for his college team in his one season, right? So he came off the bench there. So I mean, he is a he is an upside potential pick. You've got to get past the draft position. I've been guilty of it. I'm not like tisk tisking people here. I mean, I've been guilty of it too, saying he's a fourth overall pick. He's got to play, but you got to get past that. First of all, if you look back at it historically, it's probably not going to be a very good draft. Yeah. So there's that. And then, you know, he's a young player who didn't start in his one season in college. So I think we now just have to kind of refocus, recenter, and just see, you know, what he what what he can do this season this is obviously an important season for him i'm old enough to remember a fourth overall pick this is way before anyone's time connected to this podcast named marcus <laughs> Fizer back in the uh tim Fleider, I, yeah. and, 
you know, that was another bad draft. And everyone, you know, I, I remember doing this uh, 20 years ago. Uh, when's Pfizer going to develop? When's Pfizer going to develop? You know, <laughs> and he had some flashes just like Patrick had. He had a 30-20 game one time. Um, so, uh, but he obviously never quite probably lived up to the billing. But look, that comes with the territory when you're a high lottery pick. So, it, this, you know, these guys get paid a good amount of money. Um, and to have expectations is because you believe in that player. So I think expectations are fair. Um, but I think, he, I think all of us, myself included, because I do it at times, need to get past the fourth overall pick thing and just focus on what he can do as a player. Well, it's very intriguing that you mentioned that point because there's that I want to apply that concept to the guy that literally is setting his value in the league by being the first Bulls max player in league history and Zach Levine. Zach Levine, obviously, is now the solidified face of the franchise and the leader of this team. And we know what he's capable of doing. He's a three-level scorer, two-time All-Star, averaging over 25 points a game, and honestly, one of the most efficient scorers in the league, not to mention his athleticism. But for me, I want to see him take that next leap in being a playmaker, where he's not always scoring the ball, but he's creating more opportunities for others. And I think that's one of the major comp uh, components that bring him DeMar DeRozan into Chicago because he had to learn how to do that in San Antonio. And he averaged seven, eight assists a game as their point guard. What, what do you expect uh, or what would you like to see out of Zach Levine now that he has solidified his contract, now that he is, um, you know, officially the face of the franchise and solidified himself as an all-star and top tier talent in this league? What do you expect? For, what What would you like to see him do in taking this game to the next level for this season? Well, decision making is part of it. I do think he's grown in that department. But look, um, you know, Billy's talked about this offensive offense kind of being predicated on read and react. So it's not going to be as isolation heavy. It's not going to be Zach holding the ball, waiting for a ball screen. I mean, that'll happen occasionally. But you know, in an ideal Billy world, it's going to be more player ball and player movement, read and react. So his decision-making has got to be on point. It was not on point in the preseason. I don't put too much stock into that because he was clearly working his way into game shape, but I think he had, uh, I think he averaged over three turnovers in like 22 minutes in the preseason. He didn't look, he looked pretty sloppy and rusty with the ball. So that's got to be on point. And then the other thing is just, you know, you, you, you hear with Zach, you want to see him become more of a two-way player. And I do think he was on that path from, you know, the momentum he gained at the Olympics in Tokyo to the first right. half of last season before the knee started giving him a little bit of trouble. I, I did see a lot of growth more in his off ball defense. I think on ball, he's always been, you know, solid to slightly above average, but I think off ball, he was probably a little bit better in the first half of last season. So you'd like to see him get back to that. But I mean, you know, every time people count this guy out and say he's reached the ceiling or, you know, he's, he's a flawed player, he's this or that. He kind of keeps coming at you. I mean, he does put the work in. The, his care factor is high. So we'll see what he has in store this season. I mean, all NBA should be in his future if he keeps on this path. And um, and really winning, obviously. I mean, that's what right. he talks about. And that's that's that kind of comes with the territory with the max players. You got to start leading your team to some playoff victories as well. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and obviously the Bulls are making it known that uh, you got to get back to the playoffs and go deeper into the playoffs, which is what Billy Donovan has um, often talked about the, uh, as, as a recent. But in order to do that, you also, for me, I think you got to be bold. If something's not working, you got to shift. And I'm not talking just from coaching, but front office as well. 
there's always been the, you know, that talk about, you know, are the Bulls front office really going to be that aggressive and doing whatever it takes to take things to the next level? Our tourists made it known, I believe, in the first preseason game against the Pelicans that they got the green light now um, to be able to make the moves that they need to make, money or not, in order to, you know, get this, with this Bulls team moving forward. Do you really believe that they will literally take that to, ser- to the serious levels based on how this Bulls team perform, even, even leading up to the trade deadline? Do you think this is going to be the same roster we're going to see now versus what it could be at trade deadline or post-trade de- trade deadline? I mean, I believe management when they say they want to see this group together. And look, Lonzo Ball is not going to be playing until what? You know, January? I mean, right. Throwing this, I mean, I'm throwing out a informed speculation. I mean, so I do think you're going to see this team get a chance to to finish the season. That's assuming Lonzo gets health. Now, let's say that things go off the rails and you get to February and they're, they're not where they want to be. Then maybe some some new philosophy takes hold or some new options are considered. But if Lonzo comes back and they're in the mix in the East playoff race, and Lonzo comes back healthy and starts contributing, I personally do think you will see this team um play out this season because that's you know that's what management's vision has been and they keep they are now drawing some some criticism or some questions i guess more fair than criticism you know should they do more should they do more they were really aggressive in flipping this roster and what they what they're thinking is i mean they've said this publicly i'm not breaking any news here is you know that vision was playing out the way they envisioned it with the number one seed in the East uh, through the first half of last season. Uh, I don't personally think that they were the number best team in the East, but I do think if they'd stayed healthy, I think they would have been a very tough out in the playoffs. They were a very easy out in the playoffs and they had obviously a very poor finish to the regular season. Um, so management's defense is that their vision was working and they, they want to see that again, which is why they've held the you know continuity theme and now just work the margins to improve Um you know, the roster with uh, Drummond and Dragic. So, um, you know, again, if things get crazy and go south, maybe things change by February. But if they're in the hunt and Lonzo comes back healthy, I, I think you're going to see this team finish the season. Now, I, okay, so as we go through this season, this is going to be Billy Donovan's third year. So, which means after this year, I believe he has one more year left on his deal, if I'm not mistaken. Um, If... If the Bulls this season do not do better than what they did this past year, is it time to put Billy Donovan on the, on the hot seat? Is it time to have that question where you got to start the question, is Billy, can Billy Donovan get really get this team over the hump? Well, it doesn't matter what we think. It matters what our tourists and Mark Edwards <laughs> think. And I can tell you that, that, uh, that those two guys have a strong belief and deep connection to Billy Donovan. I, I know for a fact that our tourists thinks the world of him and values their – partnership um so i think you're gonna be talking probably more extension is likely than hot seat is likely uh now again this is all hypothetical and speculative i mean if they're 20 games under 500 at the all-star break you know maybe we're having a different conversation but i don't think that's going to be the case so we'll see how it plays out but i can just tell you that as we sit here taping this the partnership between uh, the coaching staff and management is is very very solid and professional and uh, harmonious. <laughs> okay, well it's nice to see. It's nice to have that harmonious component in Chicago. It's been a while since we had that. So I, can, <laughs> I, can give you, I can definitely give you that component of things. 
But um, one last one, just two quick questions real quick. Um, obviously, we talked a lot about this within this segment, but have not mentioned enough about Lonzo Ball. Um, obviously, he's had his uh, his surgery, and they said that, you know, they're looking at him, they reevaluate him, per se, within another four to six weeks. Um, what have you heard from the camp, from his camp and from the Bulls in general that, you know, from a progress perspective with his knee, um, and do you think he really will be coming back sooner, like before All-Star, All-Star break, or do you think the Bulls are really going to take their time and bringing him back and wait till even later till after All-Star break to really consider bringing him uh, on board? No, I think, I think, I think the window, I mean, I'm, this is just informed speculation. I'll just say two things for sure. He's that, you know, assuming, uh, assuming there's no setback in the rehab process, he's definitely going to try to play this season. So there's that, so right. that that's the most important point. The mindset is he, he obviously wants to play this season. He's wanted to play throughout. I mean, He's not happy about this either. Um, and then I would probably just my own thought processes. I'm thinking around the new year is a good target date. Maybe it opens a window opens in December. If things are going better, we'll get an official update from the team, you know, when that four to six week evaluation period ends. Um, but I don't think, I, I, I don't even think then they'll put a specific date or timeline on them. I think they'll talk in more general terms just because they were kind of burned by the last one, you know, where they said six to eight week return to play. And then obviously he never returned to play. So it's been a frustrating and bedeviling process for all parties involved. But the the most emphatic point I can make is that Lonzo plans to, to try to play this season. So when that is, we got to see how the health situation plays out, but he, he plans to try to play this season for sure. Okay. Well, with all that being said, then, you know, I got to ask you this. Where do you see the Bulls finishing this season? Yeah, I'm terrible at predictions. Although I actually got, <laughs> I actually got last year pretty close. Um, I'm really bad at predictions. Really, really bad at predictions. Uh, I don't have this totally thought out yet. We're gonna, I'm gonna be writing this between now and the regular season opener, so I, this number might change. But as we're sitting here taping this, I've got them at 44 and 38 in seventh place in the East. How's that? That's actually not far off from what I was thinking. All right. not far off. I was thinking maybe like that eight seed, eight seed range, you know, because it, it, the East got so much better and the East got so much better. And with the Bulls, I think Lonzo is a big, a big factor into how the Bulls move forward uh, with, with the team and everything. So yeah, I, for sure. I would say this. So the East got better on paper. I mean, everyone's like anointing Cleveland and Atlanta. <laughs> and I mean, yes, they, they upgraded on paper, but you got to see how that stuff plays out on the court. I mean, it's that, that, but I, what I will say is I'm in agreement with you that the East got, you know, the conference is going to be very tough. So they're not, you're not going to have many off nights where you can just like coast and get a victory. You're going to have to, I mean, you're going to have to play hard against even teams like New York and stuff. I mean, they got better right. on paper too. So so that that part is is for sure. Uh, look, I'm not going to be fin- surprised if they finish anywhere between fifth and tenth. I'm really not. I mean, if they finish fifth, I'll be like, all right, I can see that. If they finish tenth, I'll be like, yeah, I can see that. But I that's why I kind of got them right around the middle, around seventh for right now. Well, hey, it's a nice sweet spot. It's a nice sweet spot. We we're cool with that. Uh, but Casey Johnson, uh, where can everybody follow your work and everything that you're doing? Uh, I am at NBCSportsChicago.com, and uh, my colleague Rob Schaefer, who does extremely awesome work, uh, kind of carries us, actually. can also, his work can be found there as well. And then tune into the broadcast. Uh, I make occasional appearances alongside the stars, uh, Adam Amin and Stacey King. 
uh, and we have a lot of fun uh, over at our shop and we're, we're, you know, thankful that we get to be the exclusive uh, broadcast home of the Chicago Bulls. So check us out, NBC Sports Chicago. There you have it, folks. Oh, and there's that Twitter thing too, but I don't, I don't even know what my handle is. <laughs> my, I don't know. I, I, my kids like, uh, they, they like, my kids run my Twitter account. They put my avatar, they change my avatar. I, I, I got nothing. I don't, I don't even know how Twitter works. I just know how to send out a tweet. <laughs> Oh, I love it, Casey. Well, thank you for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. We got to have you come back more often because, you know, this is Chicago. We got to talk Bulls. And I, we got to have the best of the best on here. So we love for you to come back on and talk Bulls with us. And we appreciate you taking the time to even, you know, within your busy schedule to give us this Bulls insight as we get ready and prepare for the upcoming season. All right. Thanks for having me on, Josh. And I'll see you around the, uh, the Advocate United Center. Take it easy. Most definitely. You too. Special thanks to Casey Johnson once again for coming through on the first edition of Open Run to Talk Shop on all things Bulls with my man Josh Hicks here. I'm going to move on to the NBA award predictions. First off, starting with the Rookie of the Year Award, which was taken home by Scotty Barnes from the Toronto Raptors last season. Uh, Josh, you know, who, who's your pick to win this award, man? This is an award that I think is going to be very competitive Similar to how it was last year with Scotty and Evan Mobley, the Cavaliers battered it out. Who's your pick to take it home this year in 2022, 2023? I'm going with Carmelo 2.0. Carmelo Anthony 2.0. Paulo Banchero. Look, it, just because of the fact that it gives, you know, Carmelo Anthony championship Syracuse vibes when he transitioned from Syracuse to the early, to his first season in the, in the NBA. It, it's, I think he has a chance, especially being with Orlando, a young Orlando Magic team that has some talent. They got some good talent that's surrounding them as, as a core foundation around there. And with them being one of the main uh, franchise players there, he's going to have the opportunity to, uh, to expand on his game in ways that other rookies may not be able to on the situation. That I think work, him working over there uh, with, with the head coach there, he'll have a monster season. And 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 in a lot of remind, in, in a lot in a lot of ways remind people, I am meant to be this number one pick, because you know there was controversy of figuring out who was the number one pick going to be when that draft came along between him, Jabari Smith, and uh, Chet Holgram. So I think this year he's gonna have the, he's gonna have a hell of a year to a point where he's gonna prove I was meant to be the number one draft pick and the one that's supposed to get this uh this Mac, this deal with Jordan. So I think he's gonna take it. That's my pick. You know, this is one I struggle with, man. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of conflicted before, you know, we came in and recorded this podcast. I, this could go either way. You know, I, I could see Jabari Smith trying to make a case for it because defensively he could bring some things to the table and his ability to make plays off the ball. And he used to could be a big benefit to guys like Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. who are going to seek to make it, you know, happen with the Rock and create things as playmakers. But I... I agree with you, Josh. I'm, I'm going to have to go with Paulo Bancaro for, for a few of the reasons that you listed, and the main one being because Jamal Mosley is going to put him in position to succeed multiple times with the ball in his hand. Just looking at the way that they were using him in the preseason on and off the ball, I could see him being a primary ball handler at times in the offense, you know, igniting things off the pick and roll. He has a high IQ. He's a three-level scorer. If he did end up winning you know, we kind of do Carmelo some justice when you consider the fact that he didn't win his rookie season after, you know, winning all the rookie of the month awards in the Western Conference and losing to LeBron James. 
who had a 25 and five year, 0304. But I, I, I do think he's going to end up winning. But it's some sleepers for this award that I think people need to keep their eyes on. And I named two of them. I already named one of Jabari Smith Jr. But the first one would be Benedict Mathis. You know, the mm. way he played with Indiana, that's a guy, man, who, you know, can make things happen off the pick and roll as well, slash and attack the rim. Kind of remind me of Jalen Brown a little bit. The numbers he was putting up towards the back end of the preseason was something to behold. And I, I think Indiana has a special player on their hands with him. And the other guy is Keegan Murray out of uh, from Sacramento out of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a guy who is going to provide Sacramento with some length on the wing, a guy that can shoot stretch the floor, play inside, outside. I, I really like his game uh, deal. And I think he's going to help the Kings make some noise in the West as they seek to, you know, race the longest playoff drought in North American sports history right now. So I, I think those are names that people need to look out for. But I do agree with you, Josh. I, I would go with Paulo Bancaro um, to take home their Rookie of the Year award, man. I just think he has too much weapons around him, as you said, with Franz Wagner. Um, Jalen Suggs, you know, Cole Anthony and those guys and the rest. And I think he's going to make some noise where the numbers are really going to be in his favor because he's going to have a high usage rate. That's for sure. But I, I want to move on to the six-man award. You know, this goes to the top off the bench. You know, the guy that may not always get all the praise, but the guy without him, you know, he may not be able to win or be in contention for a championship. Last year, Tyler Hero won the award. He became the first player in Miami Heat history to win that award. Um, this year, I'm, I'm going with Jordan Poole of the Golden State Warriors. And the reason why is because I think after that John Gray incident, he's going to be more than motivated, you know, to prove that he was worthy of that contract that he just recently signed off on an extension with Golden State not too long ago. And he's one of the few guys in the league who, if you put him on most teams, he could easily start. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to give you close to 20 a night when he really has it going. And he's capable of dishing out five or six assists a game as well. I, I really like his game. He showed a lot of growth in the playoffs. And I think he's going to expand upon that. Um, Josh, who would be your pick for this year's award for six man? Man, you, you, you stole my pick. It was a close one, though. It was a close one. Because <laughs> a part of me, yeah, I believe in Jordan Poole. Well-deserving of the contract. That's a bad dude. And like you said, I, I, I believe that now that he got his max money, he got his bag, he secured it. He's going to have his pool so he can have his pool parties all he wants. <laughs> now that he got that in place and, you know, with the drama and green incident, yeah, I do think that he's going to have that extra motivation that's going to bring, bring him down back to his humbleness level. That's going to make him want to grind and go and show and make another message. But my dark horse, my dark horse, I'm going to go with D'Angelo Russell of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Just because D'Angelo Russell, you know, the Timberwolves were busy this offseason. They brought in Rudy Gobert. They brought in Kyle Anderson. They brought in some boys that can really fill out the, 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 uh, the disadvantages that they had last season. And with D'Angelo Russell being a six-man coming off that bench, I think him playing that, being that point guard, pairing him with Rudy Gobert in a pick-and-roll situation is ideal for him and we know what D'Angelo Russell can do when the ball's in his hands and we know what he can do from a point guard perspective leading Brooklyn Nets to the to the playoffs before Kevin Durant and, and Kyrie showed up so I think he can have a monster year this year especially being a strong second second uh, uh you know six-man player where he can play point guard for the second unit, unit dominate within that second unit but at the same time 
Maybe down the line, if he's playing, he might be playing with Anthony Edwards. He might be playing with Carl Anthony Towns. And you got Rudy Gobert as your center in, in crunch time when it comes to sealing the deal. So you think so that, you, you know that you say so you saying is your dark horse, you got D'Angelo Russell is is the is the is the winner for the six man award? Because if I'm not mistaken, he comes he he's then starting one. No, he ain't the starter. Who who started from Minnesota this year? Oh, this oh, shoot, who's their point guard this year? That's a good question. Because I mean Pat Bev's out. Right. And and, I, and I'm currently pulling up a depth chart right now. I mean because last time I checked last year, he was starting. Now, I know that they had him in the midst of trade rumors. Yeah, because, see, yeah, he's starting because you got Jordan McLaughlin is their second-unit point guard, and then Austin Rivers is the backup. Oh, you know what? I think there was a point in time last season, though, where he was coming off as the sixth man. It's some, it's some spurs because he right, right, right. was taking turns. It, it, was a, it was a few moments where he right. did, but mostly – like towards the end of the year, they was really running them together. Right, right. Yeah, you're right about that. You're right about that. So even hey, but even if it is uh, D'Angelo Russell starting this year, hell, Austin Rivers can make a case too. I mean, it, it, I mean, I'm not saying they're gonna get it, but Austin Rivers can make a case too, considering you know what the de- what the additional depth that was brought to the table. You never know. Uh, Minnesota has a chance to be a top three team, a, literally a top three seeded team in the Western Conference. They have a chance. And if they do that well, I cannot, I, I don't see anyone else on any, I don't see any of this bench Western, you can say, you know, maybe can, ta- maybe can run away with that, with that position outside of a Jordan Poole. That might be your next bet. I mean, it, it's some guys for six men like Jordan Clarkson, even though he's still in Utah, you know, you never know what could happen this season. I think he'll definitely be in the running. I think Tyler Harrow will be in the running again as well as the reigning six-man award winner. Um, that That's always an award that, you know, could go either way. You never know. You can have certain guys that emerge for, um, for the award, you know, such as young players. Maybe even Patch Woods, you know, if he, if he thrives in the six-man role with the Bulls. You just, you never know. But moving forward, going on, you know, with most improved player, this an award that was won by John Morant last year, the Memphis Grizzlies. Could have easily been taken by his fellow backcourt mate, Desmond Bain. Who, 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 who is your pick this year to take home the most improved player award in 22-23? I struggle with this one. And to be honest with you, I don't know. I, I really can't <laughs> tell you. Like, because I have to see uh, who who I have to, who's gonna take that next leap? You know, I gotta see who's gonna take that next leap, that, that that huge next step. And quite frankly, don't know who it is. Maybe like a Tyrese Maxi, or Ooh. and you know, maybe like a Tyrese Maxi in Philly type of deal. Yeah, I I, I thought about Actually. Tyrese Maxi. I I I thought about Tyrese Maxi prior to recording because I I know based off what I saw in the preseason, he's improved immensely. You know, he seems way more confident shooting the basketball, making plays off the bounce. I think him and James Harden together, having a full offseason to work together under their belt is going to pay significant dividends for Philadelphia. I'm very high on Philadelphia, so I can see why you would say Tyrese Maxey. But that's an award that you never know how the voters going to vote on it. You know, like right. last year, John Moran, I think everybody in the world expected him to show up and show out the way he did, but I don't think that we, if you just said he was going to win most improved player, 
we would have thought that. And it all depends on how they – I think nine times out of ten as of late, the player that has come out of nowhere and become an all-star is the player who typically gets this award. You know, before John Moran got it, it was Julius Randle. And he had his all-star season in New York. I think this year it's going to go to a player in Minnesota. And I think that guy is going to be Anthony Edwards. You know, I, I really expect him to submit himself as a top five shooting guard in the league, if not top shooting guard in the league. Every year he seems to get better. You know, he's a solid two-way player. He's going to make it happen off the dribble, on the, you know, off ball, like whatever. Like he can score from anywhere on the floor to me. And he's only getting better, you know. And right. I think to me, if you really think about it, like everybody talk about Rudy Gobert, and that is the big offseason acquisition. But Minnesota's going to go as far as Anthony Edwards takes. Even with Cat intact in and, and Rudy Gobert, the Twin Towers in the middle, I, I just, I just, I'm very high on Anthony Edwards, man. I think this is the year he finally cracked through. He's going to put up some big time numbers. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, Ant Man has arrived. He showed us that last off, last season, especially come playoff time. Yeah. He's not afraid of the moments. He's helped extend that series a lot to where even though it could have been done in five, he could he extend it to maybe six or seven games when they played. I want to say it was six games at least. And, you know, at the end of the day, he is their franchise. He's their future. Building around what that future looks like. And I think just the addition of – I talked about how D'Angelo Russell can have a big year because of Rudy Gobert. Anthony Edwards is going to have even a bigger year with, Anthony, with Rudy Gobert there from an offensive perspective. Rudy will cover the defense side of the defensive lapses, but Anthony Edwards is going to be freeze heck off the pick and rolls because Rudy Gobert is such a great screener. And when you have that much movement, knowing he that Rudy Gobert doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands to do anything offensively, oh, it's free, it's open season for him. It's open season for him. So I expect I I, I expect Anthony Edwards to take a leap as well. I just don't know if, the, like you said, the voters will have the go this route like they did with Ja, where we knew Ja was going to take that next left, that level, but is it really most improved? You know what I mean? Like I get what I, you're saying. You know what I'm saying? Like, because we all expected Ja to be like the, the, the all-star power player that is to take that next level with, with Memphis. That was the given. We kind of have that same expectation what he's doing in Minnesota. So I don't know if that is something that, you know, you factor in into choosing that award. So I'm not against your pick. But, I just, but, like, right. you, but like you said before, it's a matter of how the voters roll with this thing. If they're going to pick a true most improved player or a player that is a star but has improved, even though we had high expectations for him to improve anyways. Right. I mean, I just think about how they've been voting lately, you know, with John right. winning last year. And then a couple years ago, they gave it to Brandon Ingram following the 2019-2020 season after he earned his first All-Star appearance with New Orleans over Luka Doncic, a guy who was in his second season at the time, and everybody expected to top what he did his rookie year, Devontae Graham, who in my opinion was more deserving of it that, that season when he was in Charlotte with the, with the increases in his points per game total and just across the board, his impact on winning um, right. under Steve Clifford at the time in Charlotte. So, I, I, I like that's a funny award, most improved player award. It could go to so many guys. I could see a guy like DeAndre Hunter being a sleeper, but will they vote for him? That remains to be seen. You know, it's typically the all star who they vote for, even though we all expect that guy that's named the all star to make those improvements and go far beyond, you know, what someone may have thought 
a couple seasons ago prior, whatever, on that player. But moving on, we want to talk about the coach of the year. You know, this was an award last season that was won by Monty Williams, who became the first Phoenix Suns head coach to win the award since Mike D'Antoni during the 2004-2005 season. Williams led the Suns to a franchise best 64 wins a season ago. This is an award that, as you know, can go to any coach as well, as well depending on how the voters, you know, go about doing business. You can either go to a coach that exceeds expectations or the coach that finishes with the best record. I mean, what's your take on who wins coach of the year? Clipper Nation, baby. Salute. Wow. <laughs> Going with Ty Lue. Going with Ty Lue. The Clippers are loaded this year. They have a real chance um, to click and really take things to the next level. Um, Paul George re-emerged as the all-star that he is uh, when he went against Phoenix Suns over, a couple, over the past couple of years. And the, you, this year you're going to have a healthy Kawhi Leonard. So if he comes back to the Kawhi that we know he can be, that's a dangerous for the league. And not to mention, your third best option is John Wall. John Wall may not be the John Wall of old, but he's still got game and he's explosive. And he, and as, as you can see, you know, the clips that he's shown on, his, on, on the internet, dude's ready to ball. It's not, it's, it's not like he missed much of a step. So you, and the Clippers also have the depth to go along with the star power. Um, which makes that team so scary. But what does Ty Lue do best? He knows what it's like to coach the stars. He coached LeBron James to his first championship in Cleveland, same and along with Kyrie and others. So if anyone can figure that situation out and have them playing at an elite level, it's Ty Lue. And I expect the well at the end of the day, he's gonna get that award at the end of, by, at the end of the season. Whether you know, no matter how deep they go, I expect Ty Lue to get the award. You must have been looking at my picks, man. <laughs> we we we've been we've been we've been spot on for the most part. We three out of four in agreement for most of these picks. I'm bored with Ty Lewis. Where I, I don't see how you could go against him. I think from top to bottom, the Clippers are the most loaded team in the Western Conference. You know, pick your poison: guard, forward spots, the bigs. I I I think he's one of the best in the league when it comes to making in-game adjustments night in, night out, be it in the playoffs or be it throughout the course of an 82-game season, he's shown that. I think this was a guy who, you know, didn't get enough credit for what he did with that LeBron-led Cavalier squad, not just in 2016, but throughout the three years that he took over, and even that year when he won the championship, taking over in the middle year for Dave Black, who, you know, got access to head coach at Cleveland during LeBron's second year um, in his second tenor back with Cleveland. I, I think now that they're they going to be forced to give him his respect and just do for what he's able to do with this group. I think he has a group of unselfish guys. Just listening to what Reggie Jackson was talking about, like with the, with the press out in L.A., I don't care if I start or not. I just want to do what my, my best is to contribute to this team to the best of my ability. I think John Wall has been all in. I think this is a guy who's hell-bent on trying to win a championship and make things happen, whether he's coming off the bench to do it or whether he's starting. He's a guy that hasn't played in a year. So you know he's going to be, you know, hungry. Kawhi coming back off an injury. Paul George looked like a top 10 talent, you know, last year prior to falling off with the injury and missing the extended period of time. He was really keeping that team afloat and went in the thick of the Western Conference playoff picture. And I really believe that had it not been for him getting hurt, that 
you know, they probably make it as a play-in team. You know, losing him that game when they went up against New Orleans, man, uh, that, that was a big blow. And I, I'm very high on the Clippers this year with the addition that they made, Norm Powell, um, Robert Covington last year, the trade deadline, to be able to get that from Portland and to be able to get those guys all together fully healthy in the same building for training camp. I can only imagine what the practices were like and the scrimmages were like because this is a Clippers team that I expect to be a top three unit out in the Western Conference. And I definitely see Tyron Lue finally getting his just due for all and winning the Coach of the Year award for sure. Yeah, I can, I agree, man. I agree. It's scary hours in Clipperland. You know, they may be ready to shave some heads now. So we'll see how this <laughs> thing goes. We'll see how it goes. Especially the struggles that they got out there in Lakeland. Yep. And moving, you know, moving on, the defensive player of the year, you know, last year, Marcus Smart became the first guard since Gary Payton back in 95-96 to take home that award. Um, this is an award, you know, it's a lot of guys that's going to be in the running for it. Bam out of bio. Rudy Gobert is always in the running for it. Marcus Smart might be in the run for it again. His teammate, Rob Williams, might be in the running for it. It's a lot of guys that can win this award. Who would you pick to win this award? I myself personally, I'm going with Bam out of bio to Miami Heat. I, I I truly believe that this is gonna be the year he finally gets his credit from the voters. Easily could have took it home last year. Most definitely. That's a great pick. I definitely wouldn't count that out, uh, especially with the way Miami plays defensively um as a unit. Like I, he's one of the main anchors on that on that front line. Surprised at that at all, but I'm gonna stick to more of the guard, the guardish range, and I'm sticking. And I'm gonna go pick Mikel Bridges because I think he got snubbed last year. Uh, as much as uh, he, you know, as much as uh, Marcus Smart was great with his defense, Mikel Bridges was on a team that was the best record in the NBA, doing what he did on both ends of the floor, and he was a defensive mastermind when it came to that perimeter def defense uh, in the backcourt with Devin Booker and Chris Paul. I think. Mikel Bridges got a little snubbed on there, and I can see him going on revenge tour, uh, trying to make sure that he gets a name, gets his name for the year. So I'm going with him. I like that pick. That was definitely another guy that easily could have been defensive player of the year. We know, you know, how much ground he covers with his size and length. Probably outside of Bam, I, I would say those are the top two individual defenders in the league right now, based off of the last couple of years, off their body of work how they check guys, you know, they, they always looking for that top matchup too, which is what I respect about them the most. But we got to get to the biggest award of them all among the individual awards, most valuable player award. Nikola Jokic took it home last year on behalf of the Denver Nuggets, went it back back, his second straight MVP award. Will it the third time, Josh? <laughs> If they can't get, if they couldn't give Giannis three, I know they ain't gonna give Jokic three. So I'm good. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I doubt that happens. But my MVP is gonna be a hot take. Running off Sports Center, like that's how hot the thing is gonna be. I'm going with Zion Williamson if he stays healthy, and the reason okay. why is because the Pelicans are good with CJ McCollum. They got that veteran leadership, that veteran score. We know what Brandon Ingram does when he brings to the table, but they only go as far as Zion can go. If you got a healthy Zion Williamson, whom in preseason, by the way, looked 
crazy good. Fit and shape. That quick first step was always there. It's still there. And he's in, and it seems like he has improved even on his offensive sh shooting ability because he was shooting threes. So if you're telling me you get that much of an impact along with the efficiency that he brings for 60-plus games with the Pelicans, if you had that last season with C.J. McCollum coming in, Pelicans weren't going to be a playing team. They probably oh, would have hit, sure. hit that at least that sixth seed and skipped the playing tournament. You bring Zion in there now along with everybody else, if, if he can stay healthy, you're talking the Pelicans 14 in the, I mean, I mean, in the West, right around that fourth seed. So I think if Zion Wilson can stay healthy, the Pelicans increase their chances of going higher and deeper in the playoffs. I hit the, and if they hit that top five seed, you got to put his name in the, in the MVP category, and that's the one I'm going with. So you saying right here, right now, that you believe that for the first time in five years, we will see an American-born player take home the most valuable player award in the NBA. This has not happened since 2017-18 when James Harden did it with the Houston Rockets. I want to make sure we clear. Oh, I'm clear. Right. Okay. Watch it to the bank. I, I I like that pick. And if I was if I was a gambling man, I, I probably would take it because I know the odds are against him. But if he were to win, that would be a, it, it would net you a significant payout. I tell you that much. But <laughs> my MVP, I, I'm gonna go in a different direction. I'm gonna go with a guy who Jokic beat for his back-to-back -back MVP awards. And that's Joel Embiid. Mm. To me, I think Joel Embiid is gonna be on a mission. Last year. He led the league in scoring. Wasn't good enough to even make it to the all-NBA first team because of the way that the vote was set up with positions and whatnot. And as a result, he lost that spot to Jason Taylor. I think everybody in America knows with the year that Joel Embiid had, that regardless of position, he should have been all-NBA first team last season. Agreed. I think James Harden is going to do everything in his power to make sure that he's feeding the big fella left and right. And I would not be shocked if he led the league in scoring for the second year in a row. And I also would not be surprised if this is the year where he finally breaks through because of the team success that Philadelphia will have under Doc Rivers. I believe that Tyrese Maxey will have a big year. I believe that Tobias Harris will find his footing as the fourth option to get comfortable being a, a off the ball threat as opposed to having the ball in his hands like he did often prior to Harden trade. I, I, I really like what this group has done. And P.J. Tucker gives them a veteran presence on the wing, a guy that's not afraid to check anyone some, and added, you know, girth and toughness inside, even though he's undersized. You know, when you play with that big fella, he can cover a lot of ground for you. And he's a guy that I wouldn't even be surprised in the running for defensive player of the year, man. Um, mm. I, I truly believe that Joel Embiid is going to be hell-bent on having a big time year. And he's even publicly admitted, like he knows that it's a political process to win an MVP award, but he wants it. And I think those guys in that Sixers locker room are gonna want it for him. And I think this is the year where he finally cracks through in a way similar to how Harden did after that couple runner up finishes, you know, himself in his prime. I, I think he finally cracks through and gives Philadelphia their first MVP since Allen Iverson. I, guess, I mean, I can see that. I mean, James Hardy has some stories to tell, considering that he got snubbed supposedly on a couple of his MVP runs before he finally broke through and got his. So, 
No help and all this is over. Let's get the MVP. Yeah. But, you know, carrying forward on to the next topic, you know, this opening week, a lot of big time games coming up, you know, starting off with the Philadelphia 76ers traveling out to Boston on the road, you know, to face the Celtics uh, this coming Tuesday night. We also got the Warriors unveiling their banner, you know, at the crib at the Chase Center out in San Fran against the L.A. Lakers. What games are you really looking forward to watching on the opening week pocket um, in week one of the NBA season? Well, um, I think for me, obviously, outside of any of the Bulls games, because the Bulls not only just play Miami, but they also play Cleveland as their first home game that yeah. Saturday. So that's going to be a very good game that I'm going to definitely pay attention to. But I think for me, it, it's really going to be the Golden State and Lakers game. And, and the reason why for me, I want to see what Anthony Davis is going to do. He has been, open, been very open and public as a reason saying that he wants to spoil their night. And Anthony Davis, you got some work to do because you barely played last season. You're always hurt, but you're a force when you are able to play. And the fact that this year he has some different horses running with him, not just with LeBron James, but at the same time, you know, if Russ is healthy, a better Russ, but you got Lonnie Walker running, running with you. You got, you, got, you got your Chicago native brother, Kendrick Dunn, walking with you, running with you. You know, you got some different players that go around. And, you know, LeBron is still going to be LeBron, but he has admitted we go as far as Anthony Davis is willing to take us. So guess what, brother? It's time to shine. It's time to put your money where your mouth is. And you time to face of this franchise and the future of this franchise. It's time to live up those expectations. And I hope that ring, that, that ring ceremony burns him. I hope he, I hope he gets so upset knowing that two years ago he was in the same spot when he got his ring, and now you're about to go into another, another team that got the rings that, you, that you're trying to reach. I hope I want him to have a strong statement game against the Warriors, and, I want to see if, and then we'll see if that happens. Yeah, Anthony Davis is a guy who I think a lot of people are expecting a lot out of, and rightfully so. This is a guy when healthy, you know, as we all know, he can be a top-five player in this league, and not only a top-five player, but an MVP candidate. A guy that I think most of us would have all thought by now at this point in his career would have had an MVP, you know, especially after that championship run that he went on. And I think, you know, some people do have a right to wonder, has he gotten, you know, a little bit satisfied with the success that he's accumulated in his career, having won at every level, you know, before the age of 30? You know, he's the only player, I think, in the history of basketball to win a, a FIBA World Cup, an Olympic gold medal, a national championship, and on top of that, an NBA championship. So this, this is definitely a, a big-time year for him and, and a big-time year for the Lakers, who I think are going to be a must-watch all season long. But the game that I'm, I'm really going to be focused on is not a game that is going to be on national TV, and I wish it was on NBA TV, but I have league pass to check it out as the Clippers and the Kings. And i tell you why, because in the state of California, as you know, we always talk about the Clippers. We always talk about the Lakers. Mm -hmm. We always talk about the Warriors. But we got this Kings team, man, that, you know, got the Aaron Fox in the mix. Yeah. The Montes Sabonis, who they acquired last year at the trade deadline in his first full season with the Sacramento Kings. You got the young rookie Keegan Murray, you know, there. And they have built a solid core group there with a veteran head coach coming into the mix and Mike Brown, who this will be his first year with the Kings. And you know they're going to be seeking – to make the playoffs and send a message against a Clippers team that has championship aspirations. 
even though, you know, the health of Keegan Murray is up right now because he's in health and safety protocol and no one knows whether or not he'd be cleared to even go for opening night. If he's able to get cleared in time for that matchup, that's going to be a big-time matchup. And while it may not be the ultimate battle of California, I think that game is going to show us just how tough that Pacific division is going to be because you have the Clippers, you have the Kings, you have the Suns, you have the Warriors, and you have the Lakers. That's five teams, man. And it's only eight playoff spots. Somebody ain't going to make it. And these are the teams that the Kings are going to have to beat and try and find a way to overcome in an effort to break the longest playoff drought, not just in the current confines of the NBA, but in North American sports history right now, as I just alluded to earlier in the show. So that's the game that I have to look forward to the most, followed, of course, by the big-time games, such as Nuggets and Warriors and Bucks and Sixers, which would be on the docket on Friday as well as Thursday um, on the national schedule. But with that said, I want to thank everyone who tuned in to the first ever episode of War Media's Open Run. Um, It's always a pleasure to talk basketball with you, Josh. You can always follow us um, at War Media on all platforms, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, the whole nine. You can follow us individually at What Gabe Said, myself on Twitter. You can follow Josh Hicks at Josh M. Hicks Media. Hey, man, what, what, what you got coming up? you know, for us to look forward to this season with the Bulls. I know you're doing big things with the Bigs. I know you're going to be doing big things with us as well on Open Run. Um, anything you got to plug? Oh, man, just keep looking at the con- – just keep searching for the content coming out on Twitter, man. Uh, with the Bigs, we got some good big big content plans coming up. And uh, we're looking forward to it's, uh, pretty much covering the season and bringing, up, bringing all the news that we can, not just from the NBA, not just from the Bulls perspective, but the NBA as well. So just, just be on the lookout for that. For sure. Thanks once again for checking us out. So long, everybody. We out.